welcome to Deconstructing Damsels, a podcast where we take the women in romance and actually talk about them instead of the men, something we don't really get a lot of in real life. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the review of My Fair Lily by Mira Platt. It's an Amazon freebie. It was released in 2011, part of the Farthingale series, and it's the opening act for this podcast. So the lady trope for Lily Farthingale is simply that she's a blue stocking with some ordinary to peerage rise. She comes from a family of non-titled business and kind of made friends along the way with like the peer next door, Eloise, and she's 18, nearly 19. Her catchphrase, as I mentioned in the podcast opening, is crumpets, which I think is adorable. And it reminds me of things that I say, like I love to say son of a snitch monkey, which is kind of I got from the idea of uh, Dr. Seuss and the snitches and all that. I also say, you know, other little weird things because I can't cuss when I'm in public. And I actually really like the fact that she was nerdy and intelligent. You know, she's this person that writes these great papers and, you know, she has to have an, a male colleague sign with her because God forbid women have brains in the 1800s. But she's, you know, got her ideas and she knows what she's doing. I love that. Her kindness. She's really kind to those around her. She she helps when she can in this big, boisterous family. She even helps the male lead later on, and she looks out for people. And she's got a kind of a roll-with-the-punches attitude. Love that. She's just like, okay, whatever. I got to do something, so I'm going to do something. And she knows her own mind, which is great, because I grew up in the 1980s reading bodice rippers, and women had no sense to themselves. They were all, like, pre-fridging, basically, for man pain, because it was all about, you know, what the male character could do, blah, 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 blah. Ugh. No, thank you. But I kind of had some negative traits with her. She was a little bit too innocent at 18, 19 to really be hanging around a 29-year-old male love interest because she was very innocent. She didn't quite understand things. I mean, she understood her body and stuff like that, which I'll get to in a few minutes. But she seemed to be a little bit innocent about life. Like, she couldn't understand, you know, basic functions of being a man, which, I mean, granted, she's a woman. But if you've got that many family members, you've probably got to hear something at some point. And she she was a little bit too talking over Ewan. I'm never going to be able to say that name, right? But she was always talking over him correctly. And she was, you know, telling him what he should be doing, what he shouldn't be doing before she even knew anything about him. And that kind of bothered me because it's kind of very presumptuous of knowing somebody. I think my favorite thing about her is her circle of friends and how they communicate. It's easy to see that you... Ewan loves the familiarity, but she had like a very little flaws. But she seemed to be closest with her friends and her sister. But like she took in his family, Evie and Maggie, helped them kind of create their own world a little bit differently. And she adores, adores her twin sister, Daffodil Dilly. And, you know, they've got like this great banter and this great communication. And Dilly is much more musically inclined than Lily. Lily can't do anything musically, which he actually says at some point. So he's talking about, he didn't know that there were so many notes that could be missed. How do you not love that? Like, that's just such a great conversation. And it's just like, it kind of gives her her own little sense of identity. She hates this rival, Callie, who wants Ewan because they're both Scots. And, you know, that's what you should do. 
but it felt a little bit short-sighted in that because we don't really have any background on Callie except that she wanted to be with the love interest but there's no real reason to hate her except when she does something truly screwed up and she doesn't tell some really important information to a problem with Lily but it just it she seemed really like vapid and empty just kind of like almost as an exact foil to Lily uh Ewan described her as she used people treating most as though they were small inconsequential trinkets such as a comb or hair ribbon to be used until something newer or shinier came along then the old trinket would be tossed into the dustbin and forgotten she was that way with men as well tossing one suitor over over when bored for the next who happened to catch her fancy it's not really a great summation and that's kind of like one reason that i didn't necessarily like the author's take on women i felt like they should have been a little bit more communication or a little bit more like less black and white you know good bad like there needed to be shades and i didn't really see a whole lot of shades in any of the of the women and i probably would have enjoyed the book a lot more even though i really enjoyed this book do not get me wrong i just i i wanted a little bit more emphasis on it she actually reminded me a lot of minerva from tessa dare spindle cove series you know the both academic writing papers trying to get things done very like balls to the walls um, but I felt like maybe she was a little bit too young to be so educated, but it was a minor quibble because I was just happy that there was an educated woman in the series. You know, someone that like wanted to grow and wanted to be academic and wanted to learn things and stuff like that. And I think that's super important when you're reading a book to really fall for what's going on. I I really think her relatives would have worked really well in the cove as well i think that they would have all kind of banded together and just looked at the men like what the fuck like what's wrong with you why are you doing this the hard way they they definitely had that kind of mentality and it was really nice to see in another historical that kind of camaraderie among women you don't always get that and then her love interest is ewan cameron he's a Scottish Lord. He only sucked about 15%, which I have a scale of one to a hundred percent, I should mention. And he was only about about 15. And that was just simply the, I, I know what the women really need, machismo, bullpucky a little bit too often. But other than that, he I can't really complain about him. He was okay with her being smart. He was okay with her being wanting to to write about things in the STEM fields, like writing about things like, you know, swampland monkeys and stuff like that. It just, it really worked for the series, I think. And it, it was nice to see that kind of camaraderie almost because he had the education he just didn't care about it whereas she never took anything in the education for granted and his grandfather ran the royal society for whatever he ran that and he just kind of was a jackass because he wouldn't let her in because you know god forbid a woman be smart i i just felt like the only really bad instance for Ewan was when he kept um she like basically told him to stop being a donkey's ass and to listen to what she could do especially when the the building of the royal society was you know damaged and she was like no I can do this I can do this and you know he finally started listening but it just felt like it was, it was a little bit yeah so that kind of goes when the 15% too as for the relatives I mean his relatives were a little bit more interesting again Evie and Maggie were 
were two women. One was his cousin and, and one was his sister. But the thing is, is I felt like they needed to be more developed because they were almost the same character. They just kept crying and crying and crying. And it was at such stark contrast with the rest of, of Lily's circle. It just felt like they wouldn't have fit in. They needed to have more time or something. I don't know. It just didn't work for me. And the grandfather, again, royal dick, just royal dick. And then he's got his cousin Desmond, who is Evie's brother. And like they had this huge argument over who should be doing what, who should be taking care of the Duke's future entitlements because Ewan and Desmond were both up for it and Ewan didn't want it. He wanted to stay in Scotland. He had no interest in being a London Duke world thing. He just was happy where he was. And so I just felt a little bit, yeah. Now, as for the romance, when we first meet Lily and Ewan, Ewan is walking his dog, Jasper, a big lumbering oaf who's probably only about two years old in my head. He's this big, like, I would guess, wolfhound type dog. He runs up to Lily, puts his paws on her and pushes her, not realizing that, you know, human, small, and so she falls backwards. The, the book that she's carrying to take back to Eloise, which is Ewan's friend as well, and where he's staying for a little bit, he uh, knocks that out of her, Jasper knocks that out of her hand. And then she's got these paw prints on her boobs, which is interesting. I, I kind of amused me about that because as someone that used to be a, a kennel tech, that really does kind of happen. And then, you know, her spectacles are broken and there's this big thing where he looks like a Scottish, you know, ruffian and she's all like oh no you can't use the dukes this that and the other and it turns out he, he kind of can but it was just really smart and, and fun way of introducing them because I can understand it as an animal lover, I totally get it. I adored that. I love the romance and the slow buildup. Like it wasn't like a wham, bam, we're married in two days. It was kind of like an, a time where you watched you and, and Lily learn to respect each other and love each other and grow in that deep connection. You don't always get that in romances, but you definitely got it in this one. And I think my favorite or one of my favorite scenes is this. It's near the end after they've had sex. And she goes, after several climatic shudders, he, cl he claps at atop her, his skin hot and glistening, his breaths deep and groaning. She reveled in the weight of him, still connected to him, for he hadn't pulled out of her yet. She felt a twinge of disappointment when he did ease out of her, but he didn't let her go. Instead, he shifted their positions in one easy motion so that she lay atop him, wrapped in his protective arms. She made no protest. After all, he couldn't stand inside of her forever. This was nice, too. I think that's a really good way of explaining a first time because you do feel a little bit disappointed when when you know the guy has to withdraw and you're like okay but this connection is gone but if he stays connected to you physically in other ways it kind of can put your mind at ease and I think that's a really sweet way of describing it and I like the fact it took like 75% of the book to get at the sex scenes. Like I said, I like a slow buildup. I don't want gratuitous sex. I don't like gratuitous sex. And I don't like gratuitous violence. I don't watch it on TV. I don't read it in books. It's just not something I'm interested in. But I really think this one really worked for me. And I did, I did appreciate the fact that Ewan struggled with the attraction as much as she did. It wasn't just an instant like, oh, I must have you. The bodice strippers of the 90s there. It's got a lot more stuff in it. Like it's got a lot more like, content and it's got a lot more of intelligence and stuff that you don't always get and I really appreciate that as a reader and she kind of reminded like the author Platt reminded me a little bit of Joe Beverly in this and it, it wasn't the um 
the sex or anything, but it was the way they communicated. Because, like, she goes, she put her hands on his chest to nudge him away, a mistake. And you're like, okay, I got you. And then you go, she goes, unbidden her hand, slid up her chest, and circled the nape of his neck. What are you doing, Lily? I'm not sure. I think I'm about to kiss you again. Don't let me stop you, he said, drawing her up against his body and closing his mouth over hers before she had the chance to reconsider. His mouth felt warm, delicious. She yielded to his exquisite conquest. He felt her slight surrender and deepened his kiss. The thing that got to me is the fact that he felt her slight surrender. So he didn't assume it. He felt it and he watched her and he was present in their relationship. And that's so important to me. I just think that's amazing on a romance level. That's what I look for. I look for something where they're connected in ways that are not just physically connected. And there's actually some really sexy scenes in here. And I think one of my favorite ones is actually when they're in the bathtub, which is before the sex. It's kind of like the, the foreplay almost to it. And he says... He lathered her up everywhere, rinsed her off, and lathered her again. He licked and tasted, ate about half of that soap lather because men were stupid that way, never stopping to think about anything but sex, and a hot lavender scented lily tasted better than anything he'd ever tasted in his entire life. I love that line. I, I, just, I love that visual because it shows how passion is something that you can't fake, you can't do without it, you can't do anything like that. You just... It involves and it envelopes everything about you. And I think that's super important. And, you know, there's something very sexy about a guy that's not worrying about tasting some terrible tasting soap because there's nothing like soap on the tongue to really want to make you finish the act. But it's there's something sweet in that moment. And there's something where he's surrendering in that moment, I think, to what they have. And to me, that's super important. And of course, they ended up with a happily ever after, like they always do. It's a romance book that's what it's supposed to but what I did or didn't like so much about it was how the mystery because it was also a mystery about you know who was trying to kill Ewan or Lily or what was going on and I, I just I didn't like the mystery because the the other guy in the situation and the triangle it just felt forced it didn't feel organic or natural or anything that was really important and I hate that I think it should have but I, I think overall it was a pretty good happy ending and I'm glad that there's more in the series because I'm going to be buying them I mean, I'm interested in them. And I think one of my favorite scenes, one of my favorite scenes in the entire book actually comes down to the self-awareness and play with the audience. And in the case of like, you know, Lily and her music, you see like, you see her be aware that she just really cannot. She just cannot play, but she's okay with that. And then she's talking to, um some foreplay into the to the relationship is oh i see he wants that slow build that teasing promise of fulfillment like the romantic hero's chase for the heroine in eloise's novels there's no fun if the heroine easily falls into the hero's arms he must be tempted then thwarted and made to suffer before his ultimate triumph that's very meta and i love that i so love meta when you're reading it you're going yep this fits the trope, this fits everything, and it works, and you made it smart and intelligent and incorporated it in a way to let the reader know that everybody's in on that same topic. And then I also loved, loved, loved when Dilly was talking to Lily about their mother's rules on how to be a lady. A lady's place, Dilly started in a high-pitched voice, a wicked imitation of their beloved but slightly scatterbrained mother is not in stifling in the stifling kitchen. She'll wilt under the heat of those bubbling pots and blazing fires, and then no gentleman will ever have her. Lily's frown faded into a chuckle as she joined in. Don't forget her remark about her hands. They must remain as delicate and unblemished as a baby's bottom, she mimicked. 
Perfect hands are the mark, are the true mark of a lady. And I love that because you see that so much in the, the mamas in these books. You see them have these unrealistic realities of maybe what their their children want or what they desire. And it just, it's a really fun, again, callback. And I love those. Those are some of my favorite parts of a book. Is when the book stops taking itself seriously and adds a little bit of humor for the reader. A little bit of a, it's not an interrupted narrator or anything. It's just more of a call to action for for who they are. And I think that's super important. And then one of my favorite one of my favorite things was her her work actually on the monkeys. And she talks about it. And this is how she says, Dominant males within the animal kingdom would establish the boundaries of their territory by lifting their leg and emitting a spray at each corner. It is not only it not only warned away interlopers, but also attracted females willing to mate. Yeah, pissing contests still happen. Anybody notice those? I love it. That was so truthful and so accurate and so relevant to everything that we know. And I just, it made me laugh so hard when I read that. Because, you know, you don't really see that too much, but you can definitely deal with pissing contests, anyone that's ever had a guy. Whether it be a friend or a boyfriend or a cousin or a father or whatever, there's always like those weird jealous feelings and it's nice to see them kind of joked about in a book, especially a book where she's basically like, I don't know what you'd even call her, but she's like an anthropologist almost. And I think that's really cool and really different. And I think it's, you know, the way she studies it, she reminds me a little bit of Diane Fossey and Jane Goodall and those kind of, you know, but I would definitely reread the book. And I I usually don't reread books, but I think I'll actually find something that I missed. And so I'm definitely in on that. And I'm definitely going to look out for more work by Platt. She just appealed to me so much. She had all my little favorite points and my like unexpected kinks and quirks and all that kind of stuff. And I, I just, I love it when characters are fleshed out more. I think that she could have done things differently as I noticed, but I think overall, I really enjoyed the book. I really enjoyed her writing style and I would totally recommend her. And that pretty much sums up my entire review of this book. If you guys have any questions, if you've read it, if you want to talk about it, please hit me up at Damsel's Podcast on Twitter and damselspodcast at gmail.com. I just, I had so much fun reading this. And I think it's one of those books that you probably should read, especially since it's free right now and you can never go wrong with giving an author out a try with a freebie. Now, for one little final end to every episode, I want to recommend a podcast that is hosted by women that kind of kicks a major butt. I have like 10 off the top of my head, so don't worry. If I haven't mentioned you, I definitely will at some point. The first one I want to mention is actually one that I was just on, or rather my story was just talked about. It's um, S-Poop Hour. <laughs> And you can find them at S Poop Hour on Twitter. They're really funny. They're kind of irreverent when it comes to the cryptozoids and the spooky and all that kind of stuff. I really kind of enjoy the fact that they do a little bit of unexpected research. Like in the uh, podcast that I'm in, they talk about, you know, is it a real thing or is it not? So is it like a real creature or is it something that we come up with in our best imagination? And I think that's awesome. I'm so not opposed to that kind of research. And uh, it's kind of interesting when you get two friends together and you kind of have a podcast where they play off each other. 
So if you're interested in something fun, something a little bit different, something that kind of takes something spooky and makes it hilarious, then please give them a listen. Thank you guys for listening. Bye.